as I mentioned earlier, I was gone last week, and the week before I didn't really preach. So you got a pastor this morning that's got like three weeks worth of excitement to preach st- stored up, and I'm excited, I'm excited to, to, to speak this morning. Um, but I also have to let you know that at, at retreat, there was the evangelist, his name is David Gallimore. And when David Gallimore preaches, you know what he does? He raises his hand a lot like this. So if I do a little bit of that, it's just because I just spent a whole weekend with the preacher that was doing this. And see that, I'm not trying a new move, it's just that, that that's, that's just, it, yeah, he, he rubbed off really well. Well, today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, so I invite you to turn there. But before we get there, before we get there, it's important to go back. I don't ever want to take for granted that, that everybody sitting in this room on Sundays knows the story. So if you've never heard it before, maybe it's been a while since you've gone back to the beginning. You see, in the beginning was the Word. God was in the beginning. And God, Father, Son, Spirit, decided to create. And God spoke, and there was light. And so Genesis chapter 1 gives us this creation story of God making all things. And not only did God just make all things, but God said that they were good. God was pleased with what God had done. And then the second half of Genesis chapter 1, it's a little bit of repeat, but it's it's more of the creation narrative. God separating the, the skies and the waters. God separating the land with water. God creating animals of the sea and animals of the land and animals of the air. There's a lot of good stuff in Genesis chapter 1. And then in Genesis chapter 2, what does God do? God continues to create, right? So God decides to make humanity and make us in God's image. The story, we, God creates Adam and then God creates Eve. And God saw them and he said that they are good. And so then, then God says, but there's this one tree in the garden. And, and just stay away from that. But in this garden where I have placed you, you have everything you will ever need. And it's just growing, and it's, it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and you'll ha- you have everything you'll ever need right here. Just don't touch that. Well, God shows up, and what's happened? They've eaten from the tree, and what does, what does Adam do? Adam blames Eve. What does Eve do? Eve blames the serpent, right, that tempted her, the tempter that was in, in, in the garden with them. So we, we, we pass our, our, our guilt on to somebody else, and then God says, hey, I'm not going to just wipe you out. I'm not just going to destroy you because you messed up. But there are consequences. So things are going to be a little bit harder now. You're going to have to work the land harder. Ladies, I'm sorry, but childbirth is going to be difficult now. It, it, it was just part of what happened. And then uh, uh, just right after that, we find that, that Adam and Eve, they were naked this whole time and they didn't even know it because they didn't care. They didn't care about being naked. They, didn't, they just thought this was what it was supposed to be until they ate of the fruit. And they tried to be like God. And then what happens? Can, uh, Adam and Eve have kids, right? They have two sons named Cain and Abel. And, and, and they've got this beautiful earth that God has given them. And they, they're trying to be good stewards of it. And you know what happens? Jealousy begins to creep in, right? And Cain takes out Abel. He kills him. And because he says he, he's jealous. And so... God has just given and given and given and given life and abundance. And once again, humanity decides, I think I can take that. I can, I can take it away. So, Cain kills Abel. 
uh, and then Cain begins to have children, but then Adam and Eve have another offspring. Anybody remember his name? Seth. Good job, guys. And out of the line of Seth, way on down the lineage somewhere, there's a man named Noah. So we're, we're kind of uh, uh, Genesis 5 or 6 here, maybe. There's, there's a man named Noah, and, and God finds that Noah is really the one out of all these folks that's still doing what God has called them to do. He's still for, trying to be holy, and it, the Scripture tells us that Noah was righteous, right? That he was a rightly related man to God, and so God gives Noah this warning that there's going to be a flood, and he tells Noah what to do, and what does Noah do? He does it. Yeah, you're right, Taylor. Noah just, Noah just listens, and he says, okay, build a boat? Sure, why not? God gave me the directions, he gave me the materials, he gave me the, all the measurements, sure. And then uh, there's the, the, the flood comes, and nobody really believes Noah, but he gets on the, on the ark, he gets his family on the ark, they take a bunch of animals on the ark, because they're trying to be good stewards of the information that God has given them. Right? So they, they, they take the animals, and they say, all right, we're going we're gonna to be safe from these waters. So the rain came, and the wind blew, and the ark held strong. So there was a lot of rain and a lot of flooding, and it was bad, and they needed a boat, but God provided a boat because he gave them a warning. Humanity is basically wiped out at this point, except for those in the ark. And so when they get out of the ark, what does God do? God looks at what has happened, and God says, I'm not going to do that again. I did it because it, it, it needed to happen, but hey, I'm not going to do that again. And God puts the rainbow in the sky. God hangs up God's bow and says, that is not how I'm going to do this again. And then we got to repopulate now, right? So, so Noah begins to have sons, and he has lots of sons, and he has lots of grandsons, and he has lots of great-great-grandsons. But the lineage of Noah, they slowly begin to, to, to get away from righteousness. And they start to think, maybe we could be like this God. This God that told us to build the boat, this Maybe we could work so hard that we could get to God. We sitting here today know we can never work hard enough to get to God, but we live like it, just like the people did in this time. And they, so they build this tower, and it's called the Tower of Babel or the Babylon. And their goal is to reach heaven, to get to God. Silly people. But man, how can we relate to them? We, all, all, we, we spend our lives trying to get... Get close, get, get to God, reach God by works and efforts. And God says, that's not right. You're, you're, you're wasting your time. You're not being good stewards. So what does God do? God scatters them and causes them to speak different languages. And then one of Noah's great, great, great grandsons, name was Shem. And out of the line of Shem, there comes the man that we're going to talk about today. His name's Abram. Later on in the book, he gets renamed to Abraham, but we're not there yet, and we're not going to get there. So today he is Abram. So this is where we get these words that God speaks to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And you can stay seated, because I want you to hear this as part of this, this narrative that I've just given us. So the Tower of Babel has been destroyed, the people have been scattered, and God comes to this man named Abram and says, starting in verse 1, the Lord Almighty said to Abram, Go from your country, from your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This is the word of the Lord, and we can say, thanks be to God. So, again, I was a little excited to preach this morning, so you're going to get a little more than you normally get, all right? I actually have some fill-in-the-blanks today uh, that'll be up on the screen. Uh, There might even be a picture or two on the screen, Uh, and so just enjoy it, because it might not last long. But for today, you get all of it. So our, our first thought this morning is that we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. You know, I I think a lot of times we like to hoard our blessings. When we receive something, we hold it to ourselves as tightly as we can because who knows when another one may come. This This is what the people of God do through this whole book. God blesses and the people say, Oh God, that is so good. Let me just build another storehouse and keep it. We're blessed to be a blessing. God tells Abram, I'm going to bless you for one reason, so that you can bless others. All right, easy. We're, we're, we're moving right along. How many of you have had a favorite pair of shoes? Yes, right? Okay, so let's think about shoes. Shoes are great. We take them for granted, don't we? But let's think about shoes. So, for example, I really like these shoes that I'm wearing. Wow, that hurt. I really like these shoes that I'm wearing, but I've had these shoes for about a year and a half now. And when I bought them, they were really comfortable. And you know what I'm talking about. When you get that pair of shoes and you sit in them and it's just like these shoes were made for me. This is a gift from God and I'm thankful for these shoes. Because shoes are really important, right? They affect our posture. They affect how our back feels. They affect how we hold our neck. Shoes are very important. They our feet. Well, a lot of times, get that pair of shoes that you just love, as long as they kind of sort of fit and match with your outfit, you're going to wear them, right? I mean, that's, that's the best part when you find those shoes. And so oftentimes, we wear those shoes, and we wear them, and we wear them, and we wear them, and we wear them, until eventually, one day, they get left out in the rain. I know, it's heartbreaking, isn't it, Taylor? They get left out in the rain. Or that toe hole that you knew was poking through, it finally pokes through, and you're just like, can I I sew these back together? I I don't think so. I can't go out in public with the heel flipping off and, and the toe poking out. I just can't do it. So we decide, we say, all right, we have to get new shoes. It's, it's not an option, it's a we have to. And so we go out and we try some of those new shoes that have come out in the three years that it's been since we bought shoes, because we know that everyone just, when you find those shoes, why buy other shoes? You've got your shoes. They're comfortable, they work, it's great. So you go and, and you look at all the new shoes that are out there, and you just like, ah, eh, no, 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 not these, not these, not these. So you ultimately decide, what, what do you do? You order a pair of the same shoes, right? You hope they're still making them, and, and you, you find those shoes, and you just want the same pair. But something amazing happens when you put on that new pair. 
Those shoes you've been wearing for years that you thought were just the most comfortable shoes and that, that just fit so perfectly and they supported you so well, when you put on that new pair of shoes, you know what you find out? Those shoes haven't been comfortable in two and a half years. But you've just held on to them and put them on and now you've stepped into comfort again and you realize what you've been missing. So I, I jumped ahead of myself a little bit that let me jump back here. So what, is, what does God say to Abram first? God gives him a, a, some commands, right? He says to leave three things. He says to leave your land. He says to leave your relatives and leave your father's house. Now, a, a lot of us know our land very well, don't we? You know, if you've lived at your house any amount of time and you've cut the grass enough, you know where the water meter is and you can't run over it with the lawnmower or else it goes, and then you just, you mess up your blades. You know where the stump is in the front yard that you have to weed it around or else it messes up the blades on the mower. You know where your property line is if you need to do something there. We, we know our land and our land becomes comfortable. But our land is our normal and, and then God says, tells him to leave his relatives. Our relatives are not the people that we've chosen. Our, pe our relatives are the people that we've been born with. So we didn't choose relatives. From day one, we've had our relatives. And God is saying, hey, Abram, leave that. Go away from that. And then God says to leave your father's house. No matter how much your parents move since you've lived there, there's just something about going home right? Something about being in your parents' house. You feel safe. You feel cared for. And he's saying, leave that as well. To leave our normal is to be faithful. All of these things I've just talked about, they're our normal, our land, our relatives, our father's house. To leave our normal is to be faithful, we're creatures of habit. A lot of us like to run the same schedule, do the same thing all the time and every day, and we follow it to a regimen, and that gives us joy. But sometimes those regimens don't leave space for God to say, hey, you're stuck in your normal. I'm calling you out of your norm to experience what I have for you. So let's think again about the shoes. You put those shoes on, and, and they are just you realize man i've been i thought i was comfortable but i i was kidding myself to ever think that those shoes were even comfortable anymore it's been years of wearing these shoes that are worn out and sometimes sometimes what we've known as comfort is not the answer it's just the best option that we've found so far I think some of you missed that, so look at me and I'm going to say it again. Sometimes what we've known as comfort is not the answer. It's just the best option that we've found so far. There are things in life, like shoes, that can, can give us this, this illusion that we are, are comfortable. When all, in all actuality, we don't realize how uncomfortable we were till we get a new pair. But man, I don't want to go shoe shopping unless I just have to. I think what God might be saying to us today is that outside of our comfort, 
is God. (laughs) Outside of our normal, God is waiting for us and saying, here I am. Come with me. In this series, we're going to talk about eight different times in Scripture where we're invited to receive. And today, we're invited to receive blessing. But for one reason and one reason only, and that was the first point that I said this morning, that we're blessed to be a blessing to others. But to be a blessing, to receive blessing, we have to come away from our normal, our comfort, and be faithful to the call of God. Receiving is just the beginning of our journey. When we have to be good stewards... We have to be good stewards. Just like we saw in Genesis 1 through 11. Every time their stewardship lacked, bad things happened. The fall, murder, uh, the the flood, uh, the Tower of Babel. All of these things happened because they weren't good stewards of all that God has given them. To receive well, we have to learn to be good stewards. And in, in pondering this idea of receiving, I don't know how many football fans we have in here, but some, something's been going on fell for the last couple of years. There's been this argument about what is a catch. If I catch the ball and I take two steps and then I drop the ball, did I catch the ball or did I never have the ball? We don't know. If, if, I, if I have one toe touched the blade of grass as I'm going out of bounds and I land on the ground. Is it a catch? Was it not a catch? Well, if I, if I catch the ball, but somebody else catches it with me and we go down together, who caught the ball? To, to, to play rec league football, you don't have to be good at catching the ball. To play middle school football, you don't have to be good at catching the ball because if you've ever been to a middle school game, they do not throw the ball. They just hand it off and they run it every single time. But once you get into high school, if if you want to be a receiver, you probably better need to catch that ball 40 to 50% of the time. And I am just making these statistics up. But 40 to 50% of the time, if you want to be a collegiate receiver, you probably better be getting into that 60 and 70% of the time. And if you want to be a professional receiver, every time you drop the ball, you better be worried about your paycheck. (laughs) But even at the professional level, they've, they've gone back and forth of how to even receive the ball well. How can that be done? How can you be a good receiver? They're changing the rules. But to be a good receiver, we have to practice receiving. Football players don't just catch the ball once or twice during the week. They catch it over and over and over and over and over. And you know what they did as a kid? They caught footballs. And you know what they did as a teenager? They caught footballs. And you know what they did as an adult? They caught footballs. And you know what they dream about? Probably food. They eat a lot. (laughs) But for us to be good receivers, we have to practice well. And the number one way that we can practice receiving is to practice giving. Because we're blessed. Why? To be a blessing. So if if we don't practice receiving well, then we're not going to be good stewards. So how do we do that? And you you might have seen this coming, you might not have. But I'm going to talk about tithing today. And 
that's not the only place where this message really could go. But tithing is not some concept that the church came up with that said, hey, let's, let's do this just so we can like, store up a bank account and just you know, have money as a people. But tithing is a spiritual practice that God invites us into so that we can learn to receive well. And to receive well means to be a good giver. Because when we're giving, what are we doing? We're giving someone else an opportunity to receive. So it's a circular practice that allows us to continually be more like God. We're not, we're not blessed to store up treasures here. We're not blessed to just create the largest bank account we can. Now there's importance in that and passing things on to your kids and all that good stuff. I hear it. I, I understand that. You want to be responsible. But today I want to challenge you, if you're not tithing, if you're not giving, it's going to be a lot harder to receive. Because you're walking around with your your hands clenched around what you have. But today, if you're not tithing, I want to invite you into this practice. Not, again, not so that the church just has more money. I mean, if every person in this room was tithing, yeah, we would have more money. Yeah, we'd be able to do more things. That's not what I'm getting at. This is for your spiritual life. This is for you. And so I'm encouraging you to do this. And and not just the whole, oh, if I give, then God's going to bless me, so I'm going to give more because I want more blessing. it's, It's not a scale like that. And today, if you're not blessing, if you're not tithing, I don't want want you to feel like I can't do 10%. I can't do this. I want to invite you to give 2%. Start with 2%. And work your way up. Because, as I just said, it's a practice. It's not something that just comes natural. It's not something that we just we can, we can just not be doing and then just, boom, I can do this. But I want to invite you into giving at least 2%. If you've been tithing for years and for years and for years and you're comfortable with it, I want to invite you to give more. Even if you don't give it to the church, I want you to give more to others. Because we're not to live in our comfort, God is calling us out of our so that we may be blessed to be a blessing. If you're not awake, say yes. Thank you. We're all awake now. Once we're practiced givers, giving ourselves to others is not rare but a regular practice. If we struggle with giving finances, it's going to be hard to give our time. Treating others as we want to be treated is ultimately the goal out of all this, right? That's what Jesus said, the golden rule. Now, I need to hit one more thing today, and that's that some of us are so concerned about blessing others that it, we're so concerned about re- reflecting our holiness so that we look holy, so that we better make, so, and we have to make a post about it on social media. We have to tell somebody what we've done because we are holy. Blessing others is not just an indicator of holiness. And blessing others is not a trait of some of the holy people of God. But blessing others is the incarnate response to being a holy people. If we are not blessing others then we don't like Jesus. If you need to write it down, I'll say it again. If we aren't blessing other people, 
we don't look like Jesus. If we as a church are not blessing people that are outside of this room right now, we don't look like Jesus. And God help us that we would never be that. Blessing others is the incarnate response to being a holy people. And lastly, blessing others is a natural response of a people who have practiced this well. If we are practicing blessing others well, then it's going to be our natural response every time God provides. Give. That we give. Oh, God provided you with this, how can you give it? God provided you with this, how do you give it? But it only happens when we've practiced it well. You know what practice does? It takes effort. (laughs) I know many of you in this room have accepted Jesus, and you're all about that. But practices take effort. They take time. They take your energy. They take your your thought process. It's not just going to happen to you. But it is something that that you have to practice and practice well. I'm going to ask Pastor Cassie to come and and just play something for us. So we're going to end today in kind of two ways. First, I want us to just have a time of prayer. A time of prayer where we say, God... You called Abram out of his normal, and you made, the, made him the father of many nations. If, if we continue to read, Abram becomes Abraham, and God just blesses him and blesses him and blesses him. And what does Abraham do? He blesses others. So today, if you're stuck in your normal, if you're stuck in that pair of shoes that you've been wearing for so long, that you've forgotten what comfort even felt like, I'm here to tell you today that there is comfort in the presence of our God. But sometimes, and dare I say almost all the time, God is going to call us into newness. We're thankful for what God has done in in, in Scripture. We're thankful for the story that we've heard today. But we also recognize that we serve a God who's still living and active and calling us into new creations. All the time. All the time. So today I invite you to, to take a moment and reflect upon these words. Where are you stuck in your comfort zone? Where are you not blessing? What are you hoarding? What are you holding on to today as tightly as you can? Because what if God never gives us any more? Let's let it go. Let's let it go. Because when we step out of our comfort, God says we'll be blessed to be blessing. So I invite you to come and pray if you need to, to sit at your seat and reflect We'll take a few moments and then we'll partake of communion together. And if, if you've never partaken in communion before, we, we practice open communion in this church, which just means you don't have to be a Nazarene. We, uh, you don't have to be a member of this church. You just confess that Jesus Christ is Lord today and you're invited to this table. So let's, let's, let's pray together and reflect. Spend a moment and receive from God today his grace.
Now I ask that you, in a, in a posture of prayer, you would just ask the Lord, what, what's between you and me this morning, God? What am I holding on to so hard that I can't receive because I won't let go and be a blessing? If there's anything between you and the Lord this morning, I ask that, that, that God would reveal that to you before we partake in this meal. now invite you to this table. I invite you to come and receive. <laughs> what better way to start this series than a practical way to receive the grace of our Lord and Savior. So I invite you to this table. Again, it's an open table. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then come and receive. And so I invite you to come and, and get the bread and the juice and then go back to your seat and we will partake together but may we come and receive in a posture of prayer this morning. Come.
we believe that what we're about to do is a sacrament. And the simple definition of sacrament is that the word being made flesh again among us. We believe that God is present even in this. I want to tell you a story as you hold these elements and you look at them. I heard a story this week of, of a man who was on his deathbed. He was in, in hospice care and, and he had been unresponsive for about 24 hours. And his family gathered around him and they partook of these same elements. And they gathered around him and the, the wife took some, some of the bread and she dissolved it in some water and she took a little sponge and she dabbed it on his mouth and she dipped the sponge in the juice and, and she dabbed it on his mouth and they said for the first time in 24 hours their dad looked at them and he just smiled he, he, he would soon pass it, it's not that this meal saved him from death but he practiced this meal so well during his life that he knew that this is the table of the Lord. It's better than any Thanksgiving meal we could prepare. It's better than Christmas dinner. But this is the table of the Lord. Father, we ask now that as we hold these elements, that you would make them for us the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we proclaim the great mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as was custom, Jesus gathered with his disciples at the time of the Passover. And he gathered them in the upper room. And he held up a loaf of bread, and he took it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Then at the end of the meal, he would have filled one cup and they would have all drank from the same cup. And in what Jesus did is he held the cup up and he blessed it and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant which is shed for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Today, as we go from this place, I, I pray that we would know how to be, how to step out of our comfort zone, to bless others so that they may know the grace that's offered at this very table, which you have received today. So this is your challenge this week. You have received the grace of God tangibly today in this meal. Now go and be a blessing Give it to somebody else because that's what we're called to do. So would you go from this place today in God's grace and peace knowing you are loved and cared for and that you are blessed for one reason alone and that is to be a blessing. Would you go in his grace and peace?